Now, just because it says chapters 21 through 24 doesn't mean that I'm covering all of that tonight. But would you open God's precious holy word to 2 Samuel chapter 21. These last four chapters are given in no necessarily chronological order. It's just an appendix. Certain events that are important that would add to the story and legacy of David. So we begin here in chapter 21. And in, these, in the course of these chapters, you'll see there are a couple of national calamities where the people are affected as a nation viewed to be God's punishment upon them and how it's dealt with. And so the first national calamity that's listed in this appendix is uh, what happened to the Gibeonites and how they were avenged. And this is in the first part of uh, chapter 21 and verses 1 through 14. So let's just look at this. This is sort of a historical narrative and uh, not a whole lot to say other than we see how blanks are filled in when we go back and reflect upon David, his life, and the covenant that existed between uh, God and David and these important things. Now, what was the sin that brought about the national calamity? Well, it's described here. There was a famine in the days of David for three years, year after year. Naturally, the people would see this as the judgment of God. This is what happened before. These are God's people. God has promised and, and provided prosperity for them. But then something goes wrong and they know that, that God has an issue with them. In this case, a famine, and this is how usually it happens. David sought the face of Yahweh, and Yahweh said, It is for Saul and also for his bloody house, because he put to death the Gibeonites. And the king called the Gibeonites and said to them, Now the Gibeonites were not of the sons of Israel but of the remnant of the Amorites. And the sons of Israel had sworn to them, but Saul nevertheless sought to slay them in his zeal for the sake of the sons of Israel and Judah. Now you have to go all the way back to Joshua. You know what, four or five years ago we were in Joshua, so you should remember. It was somewhere in about chapter nine, or so, that I, I won't be that specific. But the, the Gibeonites who were a part, as it says here, a part of the Amorites and the Amorites were Canaanites and the Canaanites were supposed to be dispelled. They were supposed to be booted out by Israel. So that made the Gibeonites naturally uh, fair game for Joshua and the Israelites as they came into the Canaan, the, the promised land of Canaan. They had won victory after victory and the Gibeonites, this tribe of, of the Amorites were, were shrewd. They knew they couldn't handle, nor could the people who were allied with them, they couldn't handle this army that Israel 
was marching with across the land. And so what they did was they, they put tattered clothes, they put clothes like poor beggar clothes, poor beggar people. They put poor beggar type clothes on and then they took some animals that weren't such good animals and they weren't carrying much food and they came across as a, a scared group of people who were just trying to get through the land, even though it was the land they'd been staying in and it was the land that Joshua was about to take, they presented another picture. And they said, oh man, we don't belong to this. They spoke to Joshua. This is just not our fight. We don't want any part of this. Swear to us that you'll take care of us. So he entered into an oath with these Gibeonites. Even though they had misrepresented themselves, he entered into an oath that nothing would happen to them, that he'd take care of them. And then he went about his business of booting out and killing the rest of the Amorites and so forth in, in conquering the land of Canaan. Now, in the course of time, not long after that, it was discovered by Joshua and the leaders of Israel that the Gibeonites had pulled one over on them. And so Joshua brought in the leaders of the Gibeonites and he said, okay, we have entered into a covenant with you. We are, we are the people of Yahweh. We are the Lord's people. And we will not break our covenant. Even though it was not presented in the right way. And even though you misrepresented your part of what was in the covenant, we've made a covenant. And we're going to take care of you. But we're going to amend it like this. You're going to be our slaves. So you're going, to, you're going to bring water in when we need water and you're going to do other things and you'll just have to work for us from now on. Well, they gladly did that because they didn't get slaughtered by Joshua and his army. So here were the Gibeonites living in the land of Benjamin. They were not Israelites, but they had been there for all of that time. Saul, who was a Benjamite, remember, didn't like Gibeonites in the land of Benjamin. So when he became king, he went after them and he killed a bunch of them. He slaughtered a bunch of them. He broke the covenant that God's people had made. So there was a famine. Yahweh caused a famine to fall upon the people during that time. Well, it wasn't this generation of Israelites that were responsible for that. And it wasn't David. He wasn't the king who had gone so cruelly after the Gibeonites. They were unarmed. They couldn't do anything to help themselves. They were just doing what they had always done, and they were slaves. They continued to do their part, as was agreed upon. But David, being the keenly spiritual man that he was, asked the Lord, why? Why have we fallen into this calamity? What's wrong? And so Yahweh answered, he said, I'll tell you why. It's because Saul cruelly, without justification, killed 
so many of the Gibeonites, he attacked them. And they were not armed. They were living in the land according to a covenant that had been established by Joshua. So the Lord didn't, he, he knew, he required of his people and his, his leaders, his kings, he required that they be true to their word. And that if they had made an alliance, they could not break their alliance. They could not break their word. They could not break their treaty, but Saul did. So the time came when the famine came. And it was time. You know, there's an old saying, vengeance is best served cold. Well, it was pretty cold by now. Yahweh says, Saul mistreated and killed these people. He killed Gibeonites and he broke a covenant that my people Israel had made under Joshua. The king, David, called the Gibeonites not sons of Israel. And uh, he asked them, you know, he said, well, what's, what's the deal? The sons of Israel had sworn to them that they wouldn't do anything to them. But Saul did something. He sought to slay them in his zeal for the sake of the sons of Israel and Judah. David said to the Gibeonites, what shall I do for you and with what shall I make atonement so that you shall bless the inheritance of Yahweh. Obviously, from the time Saul had attacked them until this point, they were not blessing the inheritance of Yahweh. They were cursing the inheritance of Yahweh. And it came into the attention of Yahweh, the Lord. How can we make this right? That's what David said to them. We're going to have to straighten this out because this is affecting the whole nation of Israel. The Gibeonites said to him, we have no matter. Obviously, he offered to pay them a lot of money. We have no matters of silver and gold with Saul or with his house, and we care not to put to death any man in Israel. And he said, well, what is your request? What do you want? What shall I do for you? This is the retribution that they required. They said to the king, the man who consumed us and who plotted against us that we be destroyed from remaining within uh, any of Israel's borders, let there be delivered to us seven men from among his sons. Now, that's a Hebraism, which means from among his descendants. We'll be satisfied if Israel will deliver us. Now Saul is dead. Most of his sons are dead, but he does have grandchildren. We'll be satisfied if you'll give us seven of his descendants, his direct descendants, and we're going to hang them for the sake of Yahweh in Givat Saul, Shaul, Givat Shaul, Saul, the chosen of Yahweh. And the king said, I shall deliver them. Now, this is pretty cruel, it seems like. But the point that is made in the scriptures is, 
And as a matter of fact, the point is made in the Levitical code. We went through Leviticus, remember? And all the way through when these legislative codes were given, you shall not do this like the people who live here do. You shall not do this. You shall not do this because that's what they do and you're not like them. You're different from them and you're not like the other nations. Well, the same thing would go for the, the importance of the covenant that the Lord's people would make with the other nations. So this was a, a national tragedy and a national uh, calamity. It can, it can happen to any nation. At one point in time, a leader of a nation can shame the whole nation. You may not believe that, but it's true. And in this case, Saul, Shaul, Saul, had shamed the whole nation. And this diminished the special place and honor of Israel among the other nations at this point in time. You remember way back, the Lord was with David and David had honor and he was thought highly of by the other kings, the other nations. You remember that? But here is something that has to be dealt with. Now, I told you a couple of weeks ago that David, we think of him as the sweet psalmist of Israel and the little shepherd boy who was always petting sheep and this kind of thing. He was a tough guy, though. And he could make the tough decisions. And now it fell on his shoulders to do what was necessary so that the land could be relieved of the famine in, under which they were suffering. And the only thing he needed to do was to ask the Gibeonites, how can you be avenged? Give us seven descendants of Saul and we will hang them. And the king said, I shall deliver them. Now there was one of them, a grandson, a son of Jonathan, Mephibosheth. We've talked about him several times earlier. The king took pity on Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul. So he was a grandson. And, you know, he, he had a physical problem, and everything, but he, he, in, he was endeared to David. And you know how close David and Jonathan were. Because of Yahweh's oath that was between David and Jonathan, the son of Saul. And the king took the two sons of Rizpah, the daughter of Ayah, whom she bore to Saul, Armoni and Mephibosheth, and the five sons of Michal, the daughter of Saul, whom she bore to Adriel, the son of Barzillai, the Meholatite. All right, so here they are, two sons, five grandsons of Saul. He delivered them into the hands of the Gibeonites, and they hanged them in the mountain before Yahweh. And they all seven fell together. And they were put to death in the days of the harvest, in the first days at the beginning of the barley harvest. Now the word will spread that the mighty and just King David righted a wrong, corrected an issue that the king before him had created and now had come to fall upon all of the nation. 
Now, you know, what about these seven guys? Nothing else is said about them other than they were descendants of Saul. Why were they the ones that David, I don't know. I have no idea. Were they, were they politically active against David? The house of Saul was still seeking uh, to regain the throne all the way through David's reign. We've, we've, we've seen that already in our study. So were, were they activists and, and were they already considered traitors? I don't know. But it obviously pleased Yahweh because this settled the issue. Notice it was at the beginning of the harvest. That's, that's going to tell us that Yahweh is going to show the people that now that this has been corrected, the famine will come to an end. But there's always the love of a mother. And Rizpah, the daughter of Ayah, took the sackcloth and she spread it for her upon the rock from the beginning of the harvest until water was poured upon them from heaven. She allowed not the birds of the heaven to rest on them by day, nor the beasts of the field by night. Now this was an execution that also included the purpose of shaming those and the household of those who were being hanged. So they would leave their bodies hanging. They would not show them the dignity of of being buried or anything like that. And they would just leave them there to swell and rot and let the birds eat on them and the wild animals come and chew on them and all this kind of thing. So the mother was there to do her best to prevent that. And it was told to David what Rizpah, the daughter of Ayah, the concubine of Saul, had done. And David went and he took the bones of Saul and the bones of Jonathan, his son, from the men of Jabesh Gilead, who had stolen them from the street of Bethshan, where the Philistines had hanged them on the day that the Philistines slew Saul in Gilboa. So they had been improperly buried, Saul and Jonathan and his, his, sons, his son Jonathan. So David says, you know, okay, I've done all that I intend to do, but now I'm, I'm going to make things right. This is going to have to come to a stop. And I'm going to correct issues that have, that have been made. And I'm going to make it right. So he takes the, the, the bones of uh, Saul and, and Jonathan and uh, took them. He knew right where they were, where they had been slain. And he brought up from there the bones of Saul, the bones of Jonathan, his son. And they gathered the bones of those who were hanged. And they buried the bones of Saul and Jonathan, his son, in the country of Benjamin and Zillah, in the sepulcher of Kish, his father. That was the father of Saul, remember? And they did all that the king commanded. And Elohim heeded the prayer for the land after that. So David would go so far in allowing the vengeance of the Gibeonites, but he would go no farther. And he brought closure in a dignified fashion. And the action of this mother to try to keep the slain bodies who were hung, been hanged, trying to keep them as protected as possible, he was so moved by what she did, he went a step further and did everything that he knew he should do as the king to bring this whole event and situation to a close.
Now, moving from there, the next calamity is in another chapter. We'll get that later. Comes, comes uh, the Philistines again. Remember those guys? They're still hanging around. So, so now comes a national conflict. And here are, and it's just sort of summarized here. Now we pick back up with First Chronicles because this same thing is also given in First Chronicles. But there are details and clarifications in First Chronicles that we don't have in Second Samuel. So we'll look at all that. These four battles against the Philistines. And the Philistines waged war again with Israel. So they came against Israel. And David went down with his servants and they fought against the Philistines. But David became faint. Now you're going to be introduced here to some of those who were called David's mighty men. Great warriors. And Ishbi, the one of the sons of Rapha, was in Nob. Okay, Rapha, the Raphaim. That was the tribe of giants. That was the tribe, Rapha, who was their ancestor, but they called it the land of Rapha, and the Raphaim were the descendants of Rapha. So Rapha was a progenitor of Goliath. This was a tribe of giants. Goliath came from that tribe. And the weight of his spear was 300 shekels of brass in weight. And he was girded with new armor. And he thought to smite David. Now your, uh, uh, your, your, your translation may say a new sword or something like that. The word sword is not there. It is, it is just a description that just says with new and you would say with new stuff. He had new stuff. So probably the best translation is armor. He came with really good new armor. And he thought to smite David. So the Philistines were fighting against the Israelites. And this giant, obviously related to Goliath, makes it his job to kill David who had killed Goliath so many years earlier. But Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, aided him and he struck the Philistine and killed him. So he killed the giant. Then the men of David swore to him saying, you shall no longer go out with us to battle so that you extinguish not the lamp of Israel. Okay, so David is an older man now. Now this doesn't apply to me, but it does other older men. You just can't fight the way you used to. You can't even mow the grass the way you used to. Or clip the hedges or whatever. It's different. It's a different world. So I can tell you how David felt. His shoulder hurt all the time. His knees hurt all the time. He had cuts and stuff where swords had hit him. And those things were just when the weather was changing, he just felt them all over. And so he couldn't get that sword up and he couldn't swing. This is the gospel according to Charles. You can take it or leave it. And he might even begin to kind of slide off the horse every once in a while. He couldn't hang on like he used to, you know. And he became faint. They said to him, you're the very light of Israel. You'll not go out into battle with us anymore. You are the king. So David, probably around 60 years old at this point, doesn't go out to battle anymore. But he takes the position of a king. It came to pass after this that there was war again in Gob with the Philistines. Then Sibkai, the 
Hushatite slew Saf, who was one of the sons of Raphael. That is, he was a giant. He was one of the Raphaim, right? And there was war again. God with the Philistines and Elchanan, the son of Jaare Oregon, the Bethlehemite, slew Goliath the Gittite. Now, this is actually Goliath's brother. But when he was trying to kill David, he just called himself Goliath. Goliath's coming for you. Well, he didn't make it. Because Elhanan got to him first. And the staff of his spear was as thick as the weaver's beam. It's all these giants. There was again war at Gath. And there was there a man of great stature. Here he is, another giant. And the fingers of his hands and toes and his feet, uh, the toes of his feet were six and six, 24. And he too was born in Orpah. This guy's weird. He has six fingers on each hand and six toes. I watched the guy. Who was that baseball pitcher? He had six fingers and six toes. And I used to, I used to marvel. I used to ask the Lord for them to give a close-up shot of his hand whenever he came across, you know. These people just had some, I don't know if it was in the water of Rafa. I don't know what it was, but these people were unusual. They were giants, and here's one with an extra finger on each hand and an extra toe on each foot. Big guy. He too, born in Orpah. He was wanting to get in on the fight. The Philistines kept coming after David and Israel, and he taunted Israel. Jonathan, the son of Shemaiah, David's brother, this is David's nephew, smote him. He just went out and killed the giant. These four were born to Raphah in Gath, and they fell by the hand of David and by the hand of his servants. Now, here is how 1 Chronicles uh, describes the same account. So we go over to 1 Chronicles chapter 20. Now, it came to pass after this that a war arose in Gezer with the Philistines. Then Sebekai, the Hushatite, smote Sepai, the sons of Rapha, and they were vanquished. Now, what happens is they're just going to wipe out the giants. That's basically what they're doing. And there was another war with the Philistines, and Elchanan, the son of Jair, smote Lami, the brother of Goliath. So here, here he's not given his warrior name but the writer to the Chronicles properly identifies him as Lami, the brother of Goliath, the Gittite. And the staff of his spear was as thick as a weaver's beam. There was another war in Gath, and there was a man of great stature, and his fingers were six and six, totaling 24. He too was born to Rapha, a giant. He's a giant. He taunted Israel. Jonathan, the son of Shemaiah, David's brother, smote him. These were born to Rapha in Gath. And they fell by the hand of David and by the hand of his servants. The underlying point, and we'll keep referring to this as we go through the rest of these next, what, three chapters that are left in 2 Samuel, is that God has this covenant with David. And nothing can happen to David until God is through with David. 
Even when David gets to the point that as an older man, he just can't fight anymore on the battlefield. Even then, God has provided these mighty men. Here are men who were otherwise ordinary men, but a giant did not intimidate them. They didn't care. God gave them a heart like a lion and probably a face like a lion when they went into battle. And God cared for David because David in the covenant carries the promise of the Christ. And this is, of course, for you and me, this is the deep and greater meaning of the Old Testament. To follow the irrevocable promise of a redeemer all the way through the history of the world until we come to that beautiful little baby in the manger in the gospel accounts. Well, we'll stop here and we'll have our deacon prayer time.